Today, we are going to dive into a three-part mini-series on understanding our Bible. I think too many times uh, we've been told that the Bible is something you're supposed to read. And I grew up believing it was a a dictated thing. You must read it because if you're a good Christian, you read the Bible. Well, that's nice. But how do we read the Bible? Do we read it like a normal book where you start the beginning and go to the end? Do you read sections you've been told to read? How do you read the Bible? It can be really, really confusing. And if you're not mistaken, if you begin to read at the very start of the Bible, you're going to get bogged down most likely in a couple of places. There's a couple of predictable places where you just get stuck and go, oh, I'm so tired of reading through this. So-and-so big ass, so-and-so, and so-and-so. And And all these rules of of sacrificial things, and you can't eat this, but if you do this and this, and it's really hard to figure out what some of that stuff is if you just read it like a novel. It it can get really tiresome. So, now what? What what does it mean to, to read the Bible? Do you know the Bible is made up of a whole bunch of books? It's not just one published book. Uh, this can be important to know as, as we get into this. I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit. Um, let's see. Um, if you don't understand where the books fit, you're going to get stuck. Um, uh, we're going to cover it. If we don't cover it today, we'll cover it next week. Um, when we take a look at the whole Old Testament, you need to, so, need to know that there, there's a section of books that cover the general story of the Bible, and the other books fit in in little chunks and slots. And that's why you may be reading a story here, get a little further in, and go, wait a minute, didn't we already read part of that story from another lens? If you don't know all this is going on, it's going to be confusing. You're going to have a hard time understanding your Bible. I'm also going to warn you, that's going to be a lot of charts I'm going to have. I'm going to go through them very, very quickly, which means you're going to have to go back online to YouTube to watch this and freeze frame the picture that I'm going to have on, and I'll, you know, that, that we can see what some of the charts are. Otherwise, email me, and I'll send you the PowerPoint with all the charts, which will be really, really helpful as you begin to dive in. I also have a link to a, an interlinear Bible, which helps you understand the different words. I'll, I'll remind you again later about that. Um, so why do we do this series? Because I want you to understand that the Bible is actually a really exciting book to read. It's not boring. There are boring parts, but there's also really exciting parts. There are parts that don't make sense. It's like, wait a minute. Why would God allow that to happen? Why did he command this? And there's tons of questions. Well, the fact that there are questions almost gives the Bible greater credibility. Because if somebody's trying to write it to make it sensible, they would have changed the stories. They would have written it very differently. But it hasn't been. This is what we have. And I want to cover as much as I can. I want to uh, eliminate confusion over a lot of the stories. I want to make things clear. So to do that, I want to give you a little picture into what we believe about the Bible. Here's a couple foundational things you've got to understand about the Bible. The first is this. It is revealed. What does that mean? This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Write in a book all the words I've spoken to you. This is revealed through God telling the writers what to write. Men, women, whoever the writers were, it was humans that that wrote the Bible. It was not uh, God doing the magical zzzz and, and, you know, writing it with his magical hand. It wasn't like that. He used humans and revealed ideas, the stories of what he wanted communicated, and they wrote as best as they could through their lens. So I believe it is true. 
It's inspired, all right? All scriptures, God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Or if you notice that, it says for every good work, meaning you've been created to do good works. And the Bible is a tool book. It is a, a resource that has all this in it. It's for correcting, teaching, rebuking. It's all there. For training in what? In righteousness. To remind you of who you are already in Christ. Not to become righteous, but to remind you of your righteousness. It's a powerful picture. So it's inspired by God, by the Holy Spirit. It's authoritative. It means it's not a dictatorship that says, you must do this, and, and this is how, you know, the Bible says so, so you must, and it becomes the hammer to clobber people on the head. And that's not what authoritative means. Here's what it means. For what I've received, I've passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. This is authoritative, as in the word logos, by the word word means logos, the word of God. Jesus is the logos, appeared. And now we have a written testimony of who he was. So those who wrote it were eyewitnesses to the accounts that we're talking about, especially in the New Testament, uh, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Next, it's living. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judge, judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Bible is a book that has life in it. It is a book, okay, don't mix up the, the word of God, Bible, and the word of God, Jesus, Logos. Logos is the living word. Okay, And he has inspired the written word to have inspiration, authority in our lives, correction, teaching. It's all there. Okay, So that's where it becomes living. Because when we, when we live and learn from what the Holy Spirit shows us in there, it becomes alive in us. And we live it out in others. Let's take a look at what C.S. Lewis has to say about this. He writes, It is Christ himself, not the Bible, who is the true Word of God. It is Christ Himself, Logos, not the Bible, the written scriptures and texts, who is the true Word of God. The Bible read in the right spirit and with the guidance of good teachers will bring us to Him. We must not use the Bible as a sort of encyclopedia out of which texts can be taken or used as weapons. Wow, what a powerful word. The Bible is never designed to be a club. You hear these soapbox preachers in the corners scream out, and he's like, oh my goodness. You know, the wrath of God is coming. The Bible says so. You can make it say whatever you really want it to. But the real purpose of the scriptures is to point you to Jesus. All the time. And the clearest revelation of Jesus is in the New Testament. The Old Testament is a partial picture. It is not complete. Just so you know that. But today we're going to talk more of the Old Testament. So these are just some foundations. Where do we get it from? Do we have the original manuscripts? The actual written, handwritten stuff? No. We do not. It looks more like this. 
There's the original, and then we have copy, 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 copy. Lots of copies, okay? Copies are important, because the more copies you have, the more you can compare, okay, did anything change? And, well, okay, they're almost, cons- look how consistent they are. Oh, this one's a little bit different. Well, this one, these five have that, they, they didn't have that dot. Oh, okay. And so you can start to compare to see what is consistent, what's important, what can you trust, and you can see the patterns. Now, this is a lot of information, but I'm going to point out two things. This shows you historic old documents uh, written years and years ago, especially, here's Plato. Okay, we're going to talk about Plato and Aristotle. For Plato, from 427 BC to 347 BC, earliest copy was 900 AD. Okay, so that, that, that's a large gap. Time gap is 1,200 years of when, from when he lived to when we have the documents written. Seven copies have been found. That's it. And yet Plato and Aristotle are, they trust the script. They trust the words that have been found are what they actually wrote. Does that make sense? Go down here. Oops, is it there? No! You can't see it. It says New Testament. There. (laughs) Okay, let's see if I, oh good. (laughs) So, oh this is good. So, look how many copies we have. Complete. 5,800. There's a lot of history here. You can trust these old scripts. There's a lot to be seen. So you're zooming in on that, right? Good. All right. That's just to compare. Look, historical archives and, and original manuscripts and copies of them. There's only so many found from all these big people that we, we say we've heard about. Next. Why study the Old Testament? Well, isn't Jesus in the New? And isn't he the only one? Well, we don't even need the Old anymore. Yes, the Old has value. Do not throw it out. But it's not where you discover Jesus. It points to Jesus. The whole purpose of the Old Testament is to point to Jesus. And there's a lot of stories that are Jesus-like. story of Joseph is a brilliant picture. Like Jesus. Lots of stories like that. It is the scriptures referred to by Jesus. Jesus spoke about scriptures. Well, what scriptures? He was not talking about the New Testament. It wasn't written. He's in it. He's talking about the Old Testament scriptures that were written. Next, the Old Testament is part of God's inspired revelation. It's not the entire revelation. It's only part of it. And again, it points to Jesus. Next, the Old Testament is foundational to the understanding of the New Covenant. There's so much... In fact, if you study the, uh, the uh, um, Old Covenant and the whole sacrificial system, you could be blown away by all the imagery that it refers to Christ. You think, how could they not have seen that? And then how couldn't the Jews, who don't believe in Jesus, how could they not have made the connection? It's unbelievable when you start to look through all that. That's, that's some pretty deep study, but it's fun. The Old Testament is practical. There are some practical wisdoms there. Okay? We don't treat it as a rule book. We treat it as the source that points us to Jesus. All right? Lastly, the Old Testament points to... Oh, there I already said that many times. How the Old Testament came to us. Okay, this is going to... I'm going through fast, okay? You can, you can look this up on, uh, on YouTube later, but... These are the, where they got the documents from and all the translations that have happened and where they got their sources from. I'm just putting it up there so you can freeze frame it, look it up later because I don't have time for all that. There's more good stuff coming. There's the Latin Vulgate where it came from and all this. One, Dead Sea Scrolls was probably the most exciting find in 1947. What the Dead Sea Scrolls did, when they found it, 
It confirmed the texts that they had were complete and became more complete. There was the arguments got thrown out, like all the fighting over can we really trust the Bible? This was the find, a phenomenal thing to to look at. Um, There's not absolute agreement in these ancient and authoritative Old Testament documents, but the differences are almost all very minor and not considered theologically significant. That's the general picture. Okay, There's, there's lots to learn. Next, here's a picture of translations, just so you can kind of see where we got our Bibles from. Because some people say, which Bible do I get? Which translation? Oh, what's a translation? Great question. Starts here, original manuscripts. We don't have them. Then we have these three here. And out of those, all these tra- tra- and writers came and so on, blah, 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 blah. King James Bible was written there. Some people thought Jesus read the King James Bible, but he didn't. <laughs> Okay? It wasn't until 1611. The written text wasn't even available to hear. This is when the, the only time it was actually a printing press was made available to people. They didn't have the Bible. So be careful when you say, I live by the Bible. Well, what happened to all those who lived for 1400 years and didn't have a Bible? Okay? They lived by Jesus. We live by his life. The Bible points to Jesus. Do you, do you know the difference? Okay, good. So then we have uh, American Translation, New American, and all these other ones up here. I have another picture that will show a better here. This is it. You're trying to figure out which translations to read. The more literal ones here are word for word. So the King James Bible has value. Although I've got to remind you that if you have a King James Bible and you think it's the one Jesus read, read your foreword. Because it says, King James created this so that the people would have a Bible that they could understand in their language, their contemporary language. I can't believe they actually spoke like that. But anyway, they did. And that's why that's there. It's, it sounds eloquent. It's a beautiful work of art. Like whoever wrote uh, the translating of that was phenomenal. But that's where we get into the literal. NASB, New American Standard. That's the one I use a lot here. Because it's, it's, it's a very literal translation. And uh, I'll, I'll show you multiple ones. That's one thing you're going to find here at Hope Fellowship. I use sometimes three or four. Just so you can compare what, this, what it means. Okay? Just to help you with that. Way over here we have uh, more of a paraphrase. Okay? That's where the message comes. Living Bible. They're more of a paraphrase translation. NIV. Um, again, it has its... Uh, they have their problems. Don't stick with just one and say, this is my Bible. Well, that's nice, you know. Go have coffee somewhere else because we're not going to get along. So just kind of have a picture of where these Bibles are. So if you're looking for something for your own easy reading because you're just starting out, go this end. So you get the large picture, simple meaning, and as the Holy Spirit digs you in, you may then want to dig deeper and study into a more literal um, Online, there's a link I've sent out to Hope Fellowship many times. It's an interlinear Bible where you can click on a verse, on a word, and it goes right to the Greek or Hebrew original word and tells you the meaning. Anybody can do this now. You don't have to go to Bible college anymore for that. Although it's smart and wise if you want to study that stuff, go for it. But it is accessible to everybody. If you want the link, again, email me. I'll send you the link, and then you can just punch in. What does this verse really mean? And here's something else you're going to find out. Wait a minute. There's some words in our English translation that are not in the the Bible. Huh? There's some add-ins, okay? You'll hear me point them out whenever I can, because it's fun to do that. But it's also, it changes the meaning sometimes. 
And this is, this is big. So you can never, never trust somebody who says, I believe what the Bible plainly says. Uh, plainly to you, but not plainly. There's no such thing as plainly. Okay? There's some things that are easy, and they're probably most people won't argue about certain ones, but be careful when you start getting into, well, Romans 5.12 says this, and the other person says, well, yeah, Thessalonians 6.7 says that. <clears throat> well, yeah, well, those words are stupid. Okay? When you're doing it to fight, if you're doing it to actually study and try to understand each other, that's different. Yay. They're not fighting. But when it, nobody wins those wars, just so you know. Next. Hermeneutics. Ooh, I want one of those. Um, hermeneutics is the science of interpreting scripture. Okay? I, I took it the first time in Bible college, and I took it later in seminary again. This is critical. And if you want, uh, I think I have a, a copy, a video copy of a, a hermeneutics course. I know, very exciting. But it is. Because what it does, it helps you understand how to understand and study the Bible. This is critical. Most people don't have this. All right? The fundamental question in hermeneutics is this. When you look at a scripture, what did it mean to the original characters? This is huge. What did it mean to the author who actually wrote it? What did it mean to the original recipients? Who was he speaking to? Wait a minute. Context. What does it mean in light of the New Testament revelation or the New Covenant? Okay? These are questions that have to be asked when you study a scripture. And there's some doozies out there. <laughs> the scriptures were written for us, but not all of them written to us. Okay? Many were written to Jews, especially in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. Those are written to Jews. Any Jews here? It wasn't written to you then. So... What can you benefit from it? There's much you can benefit, but be careful that you don't apply things that are not meant to be applied to you. Biblical themes, the big stuff. Okay, give me the broad stroke pictures. What's all this Bible stuff about? Let's take a look. The Bible basically is pointing that God wants a relationship with us. It starts with that in the, in the Garden of Eden. If you're trying to figure out what the Bible's about, this is a simplistic form that is designed to show you God wants a relationship. He doesn't want you to become, uh, a, um, what do they call those, lemmings, you know, and just follow, ding, 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 and everybody falls off. Like that's, he's not called you to be a lemming. He's called you to be one who will know him and, you, and him know you in a very real way. Next, Old Testament is about the Messiah coming, bringing salvation. That's the whole Old Testament. Pretty good, eh? Now I don't have to read it. No, just kidding. But basically, that's the idea of the Old Testament. Salvation's coming. In the New Testament, Messiah is here, and he's brought salvation. That's great. Now we've read the whole Bible in three sentences. John 5.39 says, These scriptures testify about me. The scriptures point to Jesus. Once you get that, you're good. If you start seeing yourself in them and say, This is about me, 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 uh, we got a problem. Especially if it's about me being more right than the other person. Again, problem. <laughs> Hope that makes sense. Old Testament themes. So when you read in the Old Testament, here's some of the big themes. Messiah is coming. There it is. God chooses a person and a people through whom to send the Messiah. He chose the Israelites. So when you hear uh, of the, you know, the story of Moses, Charlton, Heston, all that stuff, the Israelites, yeah, them. Uh, that's the group that God uses. He chose them to bring through the Messiah. It's a powerful picture. God wants to bless his people physically, the grace of God. You'll see that in the Old Testament too. You know, there's blessings and curses. The system has changed in the new covenant. 
The old covenant was about if you're good, God will bless you. If you're bad, God will curse you. And if you don't know there's a a change that happens, you're going to think that's how God functions today. And he doesn't. The new covenant has come and said, I'm blessing you because you're mine. Because I love you. Not because of your performance. And when you do get a blessing, you cheer. But I hear some of these YouTube people and people on the news, well, especially sports people, well, that was all God. Thank God who gave me all the success. Well, what about the person who didn't get success? You've got to be careful with your cheeky comments. Next, it's a call to repentance. That's what the Old Testament is called, to rechange your mind, metanoia. God's amazing patience with his people. Honestly, I've encouraged you to do this before. I'll tell you again. Try to read your Bible like a novel and rip through it really fast. Just don't forget all the verses and what does this mean in this section. Stop that. Read the whole thing and I promise you, you're going to be shocked at God's goodness. Because normally the stories we hear, especially in Sunday school, or all the juicy stories, you know, God's punching these guys and destroying these and and blessing them. and, And that's all we see. But I saw God's grace all through the entire Old Testament. If you look for it, you will see it. It's not just in the new. It's in the old too. It's all there. Next, judgment for those who will not repent. That's a theme in the Old Testament. Salvation and forgiveness. Again, that's the old system. There's a new judgment now. Salvation and forgiveness is rampant through the Old Testament. God works through history. This is the, the, how he pieces all the stories together. The lineage of who begat who, and, and, and even in Jesus' own lineage, you see four women in there. It's, it's wild. Historical outline. I know this is very exciting for you guys. The fall is what it starts with. God chooses the man of faith, um, and then God creates a, a people of his own through Abraham, and God gives people a covenant. Uh, he gives people a place in a temple. Uh, sends his prophets, nobody listens, and then he finally sends his son. That's just a general, general historical outline. You can look that up on YouTube. Next. Major historical events. God saves and God judges his people. The creation. That's a big story. The flood. We're going to cover that one in a little bit. Uh, Noah's Ark. Uh, The choice of Abraham. Whose choice? Who's God choosing him? It's powerful. Escape from Egypt. That was big when they crossed the Red Sea. The kingship of David is huge. That's, that is, it, it is from the line of David that Jesus is born. Okay? From his whole heritage. The destruction of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Like, once you, once you see the map, when I describe the story to you, you'll go, wow, I didn't know that that's what that all was. Because otherwise, this is just like, oh, I don't get it. That's fine. You can look at it and not get it. Restorations of Zerubbabel and Azurah. See, that, that's exciting stuff. Kidding. Keep people in the Old Testament. And what did we learn from them? Abraham, or Adam, gave into temptation. But the problem is, what the religious church has done, they've made the temptation the theme. They've made Adam the hero of the story, when it's actually God. Because when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, God came to them as if nothing had ever happened. It was they who had a hard time believing God could still love them, even after they did something wrong. God's perspective never changed. But he saw the darkness in them, the blindness that had hit them through their eating of that fruit. And so the plan was already in place to remove that darkness, to make them new creations. The story of Noah, 
faithful preacher. Story of Abraham, man of faith. Story of Joseph, man of perseverance. We covered that story a couple weeks ago. Moses, stories of humility. Uh, Joshua, courage and leadership. The wall of Jericho is at that place. Then we have Samuel, who, who actually is the one who anoints David and Saul as king and so on. He's a prophet. Then David, of course, the heart of God is the main theme there. Solomon, wisdom. And lastly, Elijah, God's prophet. Powerful, powerful pictures that are like Christ figures all through the Old Testament. That's what the Old Testament's about. Next, this is pretty cool. Just to compare Moses and Jesus. Just for a moment, we're going to stop here. Um, Moses, Pharaoh tried to kill him. Jesus, Herod tried to kill him. Interesting. Moses, God called, uh, called by God to leave Egypt. Jesus, carried out of Egypt. Remember when he had to flee to Egypt? He came out of Egypt. 40 years in the wilderness to prepare for his ministry was Moses. 40 days in the wilderness to prepare for his ministry. That was Jesus. For Moses, he left his position as a king, uh, under the kingship, to dwell with the Jews. Left the right hand of the Father to live with the Jews. Like, there's unbelievable parallels here. Uh, you can go through it. You can zoom in on that and look at it later. I'm trying to say this is more exciting than you think. There's more to get from the Bible than you think. Next week, we're going to cover... The story, the quick run through. I'm going to walk you through it really fast so you kind of catch the stories back to back to back to back to back and see them move around on the map where they go to, okay? That's going to happen next week, um, but that's just a teaser. <laughs> Very good. I hope that's just the first lesson that's kind of neat. It's not a sermon. It's more of a, a teaching, an introduction to helping you see the scripture, the Bible that you have. There's a lot more to it. It's exciting to read if you look for it. If it's a duty, you're not going to enjoy it. Go, oh, i got to read my Bible today. Okay, done, Lord. Now you're going to bless me? You know? All right.